before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Danielle DiMartino Booth, the CEO and Chief Strategist of QI Research. Danielle is very well known for her time inside the Federal Reserve, working closely with Richard Fisher at the Dallas Fed. And since leaving and starting QI Research, her voice has become one of those to which many, many people turn to try and understand both the problems facing the Federal Reserve and their likely policy choices. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom and Shifts Happen, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you'd like more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now... Over the show. Danielle, lovely to see you as always. Thanks for coming back to the show. It's great to be here today. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. You're home in Dallas for a change. I am home in Dallas. I just got back from, I, I flew out of Detroit. I've seen the Midwest. I've seen children row crew regattas in the past few uh, months. <laughs> I've been, I've been all, I've been Columbus, Cincinnati, um, Skokie. Skokie, Illinois. You got to get there one day. Yeah. And, right. um, and right outside Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I've seen it all. Fantastic. And you're certainly not the first or the last person to say, I flew out of Detroit. That's been happening for quite a while now, <laughs> as far as I can figure out. You well, know, listen, I mean, um, I, and I want to talk about households and autos, so we can we can just, we can go there. Perfect. Well, listen, there's always so much to talk about. And uh, I think I want to kick things off, give you a very general question, because I know that your answer is going to give us plenty of stuff to dive into. And that is your kind of, your big picture assessment of the position that the Federal Reserve currently find themselves in with all the cross-currents of data, all the cross-currents of uh, market odds of pivots and uh, hikes and cuts and all that kind of stuff. Give, give us a very broad overview of, of where you think they currently stand and where the pressure points are. So um, you know, I, I go back to average inflation targeting, and I think that that's where the Fed staff started to lead Powell astray. And I think that's that's where his his chapter of humiliation in his life opens, is at that Jackson Hole, and it closed a few Jackson Holes later with an eight minute and forty two second speech, and by then he had been run through the ringer, the world thought he was a pawn. They thought he you know he he was worse about QE than Bernanke or Yellen or Greenspan, and something snapped in him after the whole transitory narrative finally. Fell away, and it's it's kind of important that you understand that in November the twenty first, twenty twenty one, he was finally renominated, but he's not confirmed until May twelfth of twenty twenty two. We've never seen an administration hang somebody out to dry like that in such an obvious public fashion. So, um, you know, Jay Powell's a lawyer; he's not stupid. He understands that the job's opening data is nothing. He understands it's garbage. He understands his super core inflation is garbage, and yet he's hiding behind what he knows to be highly lagged data. 
He's really not taking the counsel of the Fed staff anymore. He's got his lieutenants, Christopher Waller, John Williams at the New York Fed. There are people who speak directly for him who are out there. Some people are on a different spectrum, but there are two individuals who actually speak for him. And they're maintaining that the Fed is going to stay tight. Just before we started recording, I said, well, we've got chances of a rate hike back up to, they've round-tripped north of 21%, which is where they were headed into the CPI report that showed that inflation is softening. It's not, it's not going to soften. It has softened. And again, Powell's no longer taking the direction of the academics, the PhDs. And Powell knows that trueflation's out there, TRUflation, which all my bond trader, interest rate trader, institutional clients follow trueflation. Well, trueflation on April 10th was 4.49%. And now it's like literally 100 basis points lower by the time we get to mid-May, 3.49%. And it's coming down very quickly. So I postulate that Powell knows he's hiding behind these because I think he's trying to break the Fed put. And I mean, I'm public enemy number one right now on my own Twitter feed. People are like, no, he's going to pivot. That's what they do. They pivot. Damn you. He's going to run the economy into the ground. And I'm like, the economy is going to run itself into the ground if we can't get off this merry-go-round of the only way, you know, our third world country can exist is at the zero bound with the Fed monetizing every penny, in which case you don't need a Fed. The central bank becomes completely irrelevant if that is the sole operating premise. That can be absorbed into the, into the treasury. They can keep the open markets operations in New York so that they can monetize all the treasuries. AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they can all get together and have a party and roll out a central bank digital currency and pay for everything. And then we can stop talking about deflationary impulses because we'll have the mother of all inflationary spirals. But you don't need a Fed for that. You don't. You don't need a central bank to say, well, we think we're going to keep interest rates at zero and we think we're going to monetize every penny of treasuries that's auctioned off. So um, let's talk about that. Nothing to talk about at all. Just go away. And I've never been an end the Fed, and I'm, I'm not suggesting we end the Fed. I'm just saying I think we're at a juncture where we're seeing insolvencies just go bananas. We're in a place and time where if he managed to pull a Bernanke and go back to the zero bound and start restart QE, I don't even think that's enough, Grant. I've got a mortgage buddy. He's like, yeah, you'd have to get the 30-year fix down to 1.5%. You want people to move? Get the 30-year fix mortgage rate down to 1.5% which is negative nominal rates. Again, you don't need a Federal Reserve for that. Are we finally at the point where the rubber meets the road? Because, you know, we obviously we've talked and written about this for years and years and years and, and talked about where these policies would ultimately lead to. And, you know, you talk about Powell, you know, hiding behind whatever and, and, and he's a lawyer and he's, not, and he's smart and he knows the game. There, there is famous Fed meeting minutes from 2012 where he was absolutely clear that he understood exactly not just the rules of the game, but what the Fed was doing by allowing the market to front run what they were promised they were going to do. And that was what gave me the <laughs> inspiration to tweet at the time, I actually quite like Jay Powell. And that backfired horribly when he came out and was kind of co-opted immediately, right out the gate, basically, back in 2018. So are we finally at the point where the rubber meets the road and the really tough decisions have to be made? And if so, who makes them? Because it's hard to see that, as you say, that the Fed will. Well, um, I think that Jay Powell is willing to make these decisions if he survives. Right. So the crucifixion of Jay Powell has gone from being in the financial media with nasty Bloomberg headlines, vilifying him to mainstream, 
And, you know, once the mainstream media going into an election year decides this is the fall guy, this is the bad guy, we've identified him, he's going to go down with the ship. Once that happens, you know, the, the odds are that the clock is ticking. Now, I think to hold the institution together, I think that legal precedent suggests that even if Biden was to attempt to fire Powell for cause, while the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, because that's what precedent tells us, because this is the head of a federal agency. So we don't have anybody t- threatening the chair of, of the Federal Reserve in the past, but you've had other presidents take down heads of agencies and mm-hmm. the Supreme Court's very specific about this. Anyways, my point is the board can opt at that point to say, well, we're going to wait and see how the Supreme Court rules and we're going to keep Powell at the helm. Now, that works if Powell doesn't suffer mutiny on his own board between now and then. And for the moment, he's got everybody pretty much towing the line. You had Bostic out on the wire saying that even if we are at a pause point, that does not translate into lowering interest rates at all in 2023. We're going to go well into 2024 before we even consider that. And that's what's essential because you ask the question, are we at that point? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes if KKR, Apollo, Blackstone. The answer is yes if public pensions have to mark to market. We, we are at that moment. And public pensions can diversify away from alternatives. We're at that moment because the non-banking sector that's $239 trillion outstanding compared to the conventional banking system, which is $180 trillion outstanding globally, that non-banking sector operates only at the zero bound with hyper leverage and no covenants. And we've, we don't have to play in that pit anymore. Pensions don't have to count out to that anymore because the next generations of private credit, they're not going to have any leverage. And they're going to have beautiful yields. So as I was saying a few days ago, you could have an 80-20 portfolio, 80% in risk-free assets that pay and then whole loans with no leverage in private credit, you get a blended 9% return on your portfolio as, as a pension. And you, you've sloughed off the heavy, super heavy fees and illiquidity factor of, of private equity itself, of these alternatives. It's revolutionary if Powell can hold the line. Well, well it is revolutionary, but it's also a giant step back in time to where you know, and how the whole thing used to work. But but the getting from here to there, obviously there's that sticky little issue of how do you divest yourself of these illiquid assets and get yourself into the high yielding. You know, we saw CalPERS actually move before everybody about a year ago and divest some of their private equity stuff at a 20% discount, I might add, uh, quite visibly. What you just described you know, is what I've been talking about. These yields on risk-free assets are an absolute game changer because they take the risk away from fiduciaries and they mm-hmm. give them a real return that after decades of, let's face it, gains they should never have been awarded, and I will say awarded, they didn't earn them, they were awarded them by monetary policy essentially. No doubt. Um, so, but how do we get from one to the other without an immensely turbulent period? But that's that's the thing, and this, this is this is where I get really unpopular. People keep saying, you know, he's going to decimate the little guy. I'm like, they're decimated. 
And every time you kick the can, the inequality divide widens further and further and further. I'm like, so if we got to go through this, why don't we take us all down, <laughs> including yeah. the fat cats? You know, to use an analogy, why don't we take down the GPs, the general partners who've never been taken down? Only the limited partners. And when the limited partners come down, then the inequality divide widens. The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.